thank you for uh, allowing me to be back. I enjoy getting to, to come and, and share with you. And what a blessing uh, it is in the worship time. You guys are certainly blessed to have uh, uh, the talented youth that you do as they share and lead, lead you in worship. That's, uh, that's just a real, real blessing for you all and blessing for me to be here. I'll never forget that day. Randy, my best friend, was standing on the kickball field. We were all around him. He was chosen that day to uh, t- to be one of the team captains, and he got to pick first. And I'll never forget what he said. All eyes were on him, and he said, I choose Rex. You... You should have saw everyone's faces. I mean, everyone's draw jaw, uh, jaw dropped. Uh, Mr. Kane, the teacher, who really wasn't paying much attention, kind of looked up and said, what? Who did he say? I, myself, I was embarrassed because when Randy said, I pick, I had already taken a step forward. There's a couple reasons for that. Randy was my best friend. From the time we grew up, we were best friends. His mom and my mom were best friends. If if I picked first, I always picked Randy because actually he was the best player in all sports in our school, so everyone always picked Randy first, but but when Randy was first, he always picked me, because we were best friends, and let me just go ahead and point this out, Randy was the best kickball player, second best kickball player, well, I wasn't bad anyway, so so I'd already taken a step forward when when he said Rex, and I had to kind of embarrassly, embarrass kind of step back, I mean, everyone was shocked, I picked Rex. But the most shocked person that day was Rex himself. His, his face was a look of, of confusion and uncertainty and surprise. He, he didn't know what to do. In fact, part of the, part of it you could almost see in his face was, is this some kind of cruel joke? But, but even as he was processing that, you looked over and there was Randy looking at Rex, getting eye contact and saying, yeah, Rex. I pick you. A man was headed uh, into a city for a business trip, and and he was excited about this trip. He he loved his job, and, and not only did he love his job, he was passionate about his job. And on top of that, he was really good at his job. And as he approached the city, he was tingling with excitement. He was just. Uh, he was stoked at what he was going to do and what he was going to accomplish in the city as he approached it. And, and more so than that, he knew that, that he had authority with him. He, he had authorization to go to the city officials, and they would snap to attention and say, whatever you need, we'll give it to you. Whatever support uh, you need, you have it. If you need personnel, we'll, we'll hand that off to you. So as he approached the city this day, this, this young man named Saul, who we learn later had his name changed to Paul, we know through Scripture. As he approached the city, he was so excited, but then his life changed forever because a, a bright light from heaven shone down on him and a booming voice from heaven. Now, I didn't say it exactly this way, but basically what the voice from heaven said was, I pick Saul. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in the first chapter Verses 12 through 17 in 1 Timothy. What we're looking at today, uh, the sermon title is The Direction of Grace. And I think we have the notes there in the bulletin if you want to follow along and fill those out. Uh, the good thing about filling out notes is 
you know when I'm about done. So when you get that last point, you can just, oh, well, finally he's finished. But, but if you want to guess and try to fill those in, that, that's always fun as well. But if you have your Bibles, look with me. First Timothy chapter 1, we'll start in verse 12. Here Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who gives me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, we know that from his history, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The key verse in, in this passage, I want you to kind of highlight it. If you like to underline your Bible, you could underline it. Uh, if you get nothing else from today's sermon, Remember this verse because it is so key. It's verse 14. This is what Paul says there. Let me repeat it. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Remember who Paul described himself. He described himself as the worst of all sinners. He described him as a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. And this is how he, he, he sums all that up, what God did to him, what Jesus did for him. He poured his grace out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I think it was... Uh, 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 last s- summer, Reed and I were visiting in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Our oldest son, Brian, uh, lives in Broken Arrow. And uh, Brian's wife, Christy, was uh, at a women's retreat, and they were having a garage sale. It was kind of a neighborhood garage sale type deal. So he called and said, hey, can you guys come down and help with the kids? They have they have three kids. Uh, uh, Kyler, who, help me out here, Kyler's seven, six, six. <laughs> Cameron, who's... Five and K- Ky- I said someone told someone this week. I remember all my grandkids' names. Callie, man, I just went blank. And Callie, who's younger than that, um, so <laughs> whoo, that's terrible. Don't tell Brian I messed their names up. Um, so he said, "Will you come down and help out with the kids?" So we went down for the weekend. Saturday morning, we get all the stuff out. We're doing the garage sale. It's about a, I don't know eleven thirty or so, and and. Uh, I look over to Brian and he say, I said, Brian, uh, do you have plans for lunch for the kids? Translation, I'm hungry, so uh, I want to get lunch, so I'll throw in the kids out there. And, and he said, well, maybe we run to McDonald's. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I loaded all the kids up. We went to McDonald's. We got uh, uh, stuff for us. We got Happy Meals for the kids. We got back and we set them up. By the way, it's been a long time since I, I bought a Happy Meal. Man, what a ripoff those Happy Meals are now. You know the French fry, the little, they have just a little bit of baby box that like holds three French fries or something. But, but we get them, get the kids out and set them on the table and, and, uh, and, and I, I pour Cameron's fries out on her little plate and I turn to start to walk away and she yells, I need ranch. I'd kind of forgotten that Callie eats, or Cameron, excuse me, eats ranch with everything. So I went to the, the, the refrigerator and I got the bottle of ranch and I went over and I poured what I thought was an appropriate amount of ranch on her plate for her three fries that she had there. I poured that. Uh, I, I went back out the garage and I started eating lunch. I don't know, it was about three or four minutes later, Ky, uh, Kyler. <sighs> Boy, well, all these Kyler, Cameron, Kyler, but that's a tough. Kyler comes out 
opens the door of the garage, steps out where we are and says, Dad, camera's got too much ranch. And as he said that, he left the door open. We could see into the house where Cameron sat at the end of the table. And Cameron yelled out, <coughs> yelled out to her, yelled out to her dad, Dad, don't look, don't look at my ranch. And, uh, so I said, Brian, okay, I'll take care of it. So I, I, I walked in. And I kid you not. This girl had decided my appropriate amount of ranch was not enough. So she had went to the fridge, got the ranch. And she had, I, I assume, taken the bottle and just done one of these, just squeezed and squeezed. Cause, cause she had a, a plate with a little hamburger and three fries. And, and it was, it was flooded with ranch dressing. Her french fries, I catch it, her, her french fries were floating. Uh, in ranch dressing. They were buried in ranch dressing. They were submerged in ranch dressing. Do you remember what verse 14 said? Paul said that your grace was poured out on me abundantly. That was abundant. I mean, she had, uh, it was submerged in ranch dressing. The grace of Jesus is poured out on us abundantly. And, and, and the direction of grace, we're going to look at three, three ways that grace points us. The first thing that grace does is it points us up. Look at verse 12 uh, here in first, uh, first Timothy. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength. We can't help but when we come in contact with God's grace, when God's grace is poured out on us abundantly, when, when we surrender our hearts to Him, and come in contact with His grace, we can't help but to look up and give faith, uh, give thanks. When we look at ourselves, when, when we look down and see who we are, we should see God's grace in, in our life. See, we don't see who we were. Instead, we see who we are in Christ. When we're covered by His grace, kind of with Cameron's French fries, when we look at ourselves, we should see ourselves submerged and, and, and buried and covered completely in God's grace. So when we look at ourselves, we don't see stuff from the past. Instead, we see God's grace covering us through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we can't help but look up and give thanks. See, what happened was we used to see our sin. Before we come in contact with God's grace, we look at ourselves and, man, all I see is my mess-ups and my failures and my disappointments and, 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 and all of the sin in my life. But because we're covered by His grace, we can claim verses in, in Scripture. We can claim Psalm 103, verse 12, that says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far as we remove my transgressions from us. We can claim Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. We used to be lost and uncertain about who we were, but now we can claim First John chapter 3, Verse 1 that says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And we can claim 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 that says, You are who? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you looked at yourself and you saw disenfranchisement, but... Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now when you look at yourself, now when you see the grace of God, you realize that you have received mercy. Verse 12 says, I thank, my, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. 
Paul's thought there would be, it's given me strength to preach boldly. It's given me strength to face persecution. It's given me strength to grow, to have a heart like Jesus. But, but there's always a problem. When, when we think of God's grace, when we, when we hear those wonderful verses that talk about grace, when we hear it here, there's always a problem that kind of creeps in through the back door of our minds, if you will, kind of in the back door of our spirit. It's actually Satan kind of planting that seed that just crawls in there and, and can confuse us. And, and here's, here's the challenge. What, what happens is we begin to think about our works, kind of from two, two standpoints. One thing is we can do it from a pride standpoint. We can, we can think about God's grace, but then we see what we do, and we get very prideful. Well, yeah, I do this. I teach Sunday school, and I'm in leadership, and I volunteer, and I go on mission trips, and I give money, and I do this, and I do that. And it's very easy for us, even in the thinking of grace, to start looking and say, well, yeah, but I've done all this. I'm pretty good, aren't I? I'm not a bad person at all. Or we can, or we can let it slip in, uh, and, and, and what we see is, is well, I, I've got to do works. Man, that grace can't be enough, can it? Can God, can God really look at me, and when he sees me, he sees grace? No, he sees mess up, so I've got to work even harder, and, and it can challenge us. How did Paul go from being a blasphemer to a blesser? How did he go from being a persecutor to a preacher of God's work? How did he go from being a violent man to victorious? It wasn't his works. And he did plenty. I mean, if you want to stack people up for what he had accomplished and what he had done, I don't think anyone's going to stack up to Paul. But that wasn't it. It was, it was God's grace. It was God's grace. And we also, as, as we, we look up with, with, uh, uh, with grace, we have a comfort. And, and here's the comfort. It, it can come, this sounds odd, but it can come in our failures. See, when we take a look back at our life and we see our failures, and, and for some of you, maybe those failures are, are fresh. Maybe some of them are raw. When you look at your own spirit and your own life and your own mess-ups and your mistakes and you look back, some, some of you... Some of you might really have some hurt and some pain going on right now, and you're like, man, I don't like to look back at that because it's too, it's too real and it's too raw and too painful. But we can look back at our failures and realize that God's grace covers that. Look at verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer, Paul could look back and see that, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Let me read verse 14 again. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying uh, that deserves full acceptance in Christ, uh, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Imagine if you will, uh, imagine if you will a, uh, there's there's a line of people, and at the front of the line is the worst sinner. Now, Paul says he's the worst, so we're going to let him take the front of the line. Some of you might think, well, you know, if Paul's in front, I'm right there behind him. But Paul's in the front of the line. Now, way at the back of the line, you know, we, we've got Mother Teresa and, and uh, Billy Graham and Steve Adams. They're all there at the back of the line. Uh, but at the front of the line, Paul says, here I am. I am the worst of sinners. 
if Paul, who saw himself as the worst of sinners, who, who, who was a persecutor of the church, um, a, a violent man because of, uh, of, uh, of his uh, beliefs, if Paul, who was the worst of sinners, could praise God because he's covered by grace, then why can't we? Maybe you're here today uh, and that that pain is real, that when you look back and at your failures, it boy, it just stings. Or you look back at your failures and you 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 bow your head in shame. And you look back at your failures and you just can't let go of them. I mean, they're just too too painful, they're too real, they're too bad, you think. If Paul, whose, whose goal in life, before he met Jesus, his goal in life was to stamp Christianity out. His, his mission, and he was good at it, he was passionate, his goal was to, to, to stop the name of Jesus in his tracks. If God's grace could cover him, why can't it cover you? The direction of grace, it flows up when we, when we see that God's grace covers us, we can't help but give praise to Him. The second thing we see is that, that grace flows down. Um, let me read verse 14 again. Great verse here. The grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly. Now Paul could have said, and he would have got the point across here, Paul could have said the, the, that the grace of God was poured out on me. And you would have understand that. Hey, God's grace poured out on me. Okay, I get that visual picture. Yeah, wow, God's grace covers me. He could have said, now here we have a little bit of breakdown in the English translation here. Paul could have said, the grace of God is poured out on me abundantly. That's, that's what the, my version says there. But that's not actually what Paul said. Paul uses the word hooper pleiazino. Uh, uh, and pleiazino means abundance or abundantly. But Paul doesn't use that. He doesn't literally say in Greek, he doesn't say God's grace was poured out on me abundantly. What he really is saying, he takes that word abundantly and supersizes or, or puts it on steroids because he says hooperpleionmo, which literally means exceedingly abundantly. Paul didn't want his listeners to miss the fact that when God's grace covers us, it covers us. It is poured out us, it, it drenches us, it drowns us, it submerges us. Like Cameron with her french fries and ranch dressing, God's grace just covers us completely. It doesn't just barely cover us. God's grace just doesn't, doesn't just, oh, well, just barely. I'm, I'm saved by the skin of my teeth. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in a family of six kids. Uh, my, I'm a twin. My twin sister and I are the youngest. Uh, there's six of us. Uh, my oldest sister, Beck, was six years old when mom gave birth to twins. Uh, you can understand why my mom has gray hair and talks to herself a lot. No, she doesn't do that. But six kids under six years old. When, when Beck was old enough to start babysitting us, which I think was probably way too young for her to do it, but mom would leave the house and leave Beck, my oldest sister, in charge. Beck was the meanest older sister that anyone have. Anyone have an older sister that was mean? You're afraid because she's sitting right next to you? Okay. Just kind of wink at me and I'll know what you're talking about. She was the meanest whole sister. This is how she babysat. I'm not making this up. I'll give you my sister's phone number and she'll vouch for me. Uh, my brother's phone number, my other sister's phone number. Um, when mom left, and she had always waited an appropriate amount of time 
you know, so that mama, if she forgot something, didn't run, you know, come back home to get it. She'd wait an appropriate amount of time. And, and then her face, it was like, oh, no problem, mom. I got him. I'll watch. We'll take care of him. You know, her face just, I mean, it was like she was obsessed. All of a sudden, her face would change and she'd say, get out of the house. And she literally would run us, the four younger ones, uh, Deb, uh, my next oldest, she got to stay in the house. She'd run the four youngest ones out and lock the screen door. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're outside, which is no big deal. We played outside, so it wasn't that big deal. But, you know, you're playing outside and sometimes you get, get thirsty. So we'd come knock on the screen door. Back, we're thirsty. Get a drink out of the well. We had an old well. We could lower a bucket down. It's actually pretty good water, but get it out of the well. Lunchtime, she'd crack the door and toss out a hamburger, or not a hamburger, but a, probably a piece of bologna. I don't remember. She, had, she was so mean. And uh, this had happened, I don't know how many times, probably over the course of a couple of years. And Finally, my brother and I got together, and we decided, you know, we're going to tell Mom. So we went up to Mom one of these times after this had happened, and and, and we said, Mom, we need to talk to you a little bit. And, and Beck's mean. And Mom, this is what she does. As soon as you leave, after a little while, she throws us outside. and We have to drink out of the well. And Mom, she's so mean. Will you talk to her? Mom, will you do something about it? And I'll never forget Mom's response. She looked at us because it left us floored. I mean, we didn't know what to say. And my brother always had something to say. And he didn't have anything to say. Mom looked at us and she said, well, she's your sister. You don't have to like her, but you have to love her. And she walked away. What? What in the world does that mean? Now, when I got older, I knew what that meant. It, it meant she's a free babysitter. And, uh, <laughs> and I really think all these times mom had to go to town, she just drove out in the country and pulled off on the side road and just, list, you know, just enjoyed the silence for a while. But, but really what she was saying is not much, it, she's your family and you have to love her. I don't, I don't care if she's mean to you, you still got to love her. I, I wonder if sometimes we don't have the mentality in the church that God has to love us. Well, Jesus went to the cross, and he died there, and his blood covers our sins, and Paul says his grace flows down on us, so God, God has to love us, but just barely. Some of us think, well, you know, God can... God can love that person, but man, okay, I know in the church His grace covers me, but does He really, really care about me? I think that's why Paul chooses this word very carefully. Hooper Pleiosno, he says that His grace covers me, the worst of sinners, the, the worst guy there ever was. It covers me not just a little bit, not a lot, but it covers me exceedingly abundantly. Now, now, that's the message God wants you to know. If you don't think God's grace can cover you, Paul says, no, it can exceedingly abundantly. If you think God, okay, God's got to save me, but I'm just barely going to get a shack on the edge of town in heaven. That's not what it says there. He says His grace covers you so much that He can't see you. All He sees is the grace that's covering you. See, what we learn from this is we learn, we learn God's heart. Verse 15 says He came into the world to save sinners. Are you trying to figure out who God is and what God wants and what the heart of Jesus was? It's really simple. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save a sinner like Paul. And He came to save a sinner like me. And He came to save a sinner just like you. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is through Him. And we have then to learn to accept that gift. We have to take the gift 
that he offers. If he is willing to drown us in his grace, we have to accept that. Rita and I have four children, three sons and a daughter. Our daughter came to live with us when she was 15, 15 and a half years old. Uh, we, we had her in foster care for a while, then we adopted her about a year later and, uh, uh, and made her officially part of our, our family. Uh, has an interesting story. If you're interested in hearing her story, uh, there's, she has a video. She works with a, uh, an organization that deals with foster care and adoption and, and is a part of the marketing director with that. And just, she just has a wonderful story uh, about her life. But, but when she came to us, she so badly wanted to fit in. And, and we gave her, when I was here a, a, a while back, I, uh, I preached on Joshua chapter 1. The very first Christmas was just a couple weeks after she came to live with us. We gave her a little jewelry box, and, and we put in that jewelry box Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And we told Crystal, Crystal, we're, we're not, we're not going to leave you. She had been, she had bounced from foster care uh, house to foster care house, had been a house that she thought was going to be the place that she would stay forever, that they were going to be a forever family for her. And she came home one day, uh, just before Christmas, came home from school, and all of her stuff was in two garbage bags at the back door, and, and her caseworker was there, and she was leaving. And, and so we said to her, Crystal, we're not going to leave you. for You're here for as long as you want to be here. And she wanted to believe that. Her heart wanted to believe that someone would say, okay, okay, you're, you're, you're going to be there for me. But she didn't. How could she? Her biological mother uh, had beaten that notion out of her, both physically and emotionally. She, she had been told by her mom and by her dad and by, by other family members that she would never amount to anything, that she was worthless, that they wished she had never been born. How could she believe that we would be there? We, we said to her fairly early on, Crystal, we love you. And she wanted to believe that. But she couldn't. It took her, it took her years. Literally, it took her till she had her own child before I think it finally sunk in. Hey, yeah, they do love me. I am worthy. Paul tries as forcefully, as poignantly, as he can to convince us of God's love and mercy. He says, God covers us with his grace. No, he covers us with us with his grace abundantly. No, exceedingly abundantly. Henry Nowen uh, says this, God rejoices not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end, nor because thousands of people have been converted and are praising him for his goodness, Oh, God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. When, when we come in contact with his grace, that's what pleases God because that's what he sees. And finally, we see, we, we see grace points up because when we come in contact with it, we can't help but give praise to God. It, uh, it, it flows down on us because when God, uh, through Christ, uh, saved us, his grace completely covers us. But grace also extends Look at verse, uh, verse 16. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy. Paul speaking here. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, catch this, as an example for those who would believe on him 
and receive eternal life. Why, Paul says, did, did he receive grace in part was so that his story could impact others, so that his story would be an inspiration. See, God's grace doesn't just go up and down, it extends out. See, we need to share our grace stories. I, I, don't, I, I don't know you well. I don't know your personalities. I don't know your stories. You, you walk in and most of you have smiles on your face. One of the first things I got today was a fist bump and a, and a hug from the dear lady in the back there. But most of you guys look pretty good. And, you know, you look like you're probably, probably good people. You know, and I'm sure you are. But they're stories. Some of you have come through some difficult times, some painful places in your life. Some of you have, uh, have won victory over addictions. And some of you have had marriages that failed or maybe were failing, but, but God gave you victory and God gave you wholeness again. We need to, we need to share those grace stories. We, we need to let people know that, hey, we can hurt and God can heal that hurt. Don't underestimate what God can do with your story if you're willing to share it. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know for Troy Christian how that happens, but, but here's what I think should happen sometime. I think we should share those stories. There's times where someone should come up front and say, I don't know if you know this, but, but this is what God did in my, my, my life. Steve's brother did that last week when he shared his story that, hey, I had cancer and God healed me. We need to share those stories, even if they're painful, because there's someone else out there that's going through the same thing. They need, they need to know that if God could heal your heart, well, maybe there's hope that He can heal mine. If God could change your life, maybe, maybe, just maybe God can change mine. If God could restore your marriage, maybe there's hope for our marriage. Maybe God can restore our marriage as well. So our grace stories, sometimes we keep them to ourselves or just to a small group of people. We need to be willing to share those grace stories, share our vulnerability and be transparent because that inspires people, inspires people to see what God can do. And to know that God's grace can cover them as well. Well, now let's look at an application. What's God calling, what's God calling this church to? I think God's calling you to live lives that are covered in His grace. Individually, to realize that His grace covers you. He doesn't look at you and say, man, they're just barely in the kingdom. But man, God looks at you and He sees a, a, a soul that is covered in the blood of His Son, which is covered in His grace live in such a way to know, man, God covers me and He loves me and, he's co- and He sees grace in my life. You, you have to offer grace then to others. As God gives grace to you, then as an impact, you offer that grace to others as well. Randy said, I pick Rex. He was the worst player. Rex was always the last player chosen, without fail. Last player every time. In kickball, it didn't make a difference in the sport, but in kickball, he, he couldn't kick it worth, a, worth anything. He couldn't catch. He couldn't throw. Rex was the worst player on the team. Worst, worst player in the school. Did, did I mention that he had muscular dystrophy? I think I forgot to mention that. When, when Rex ran, it looked like his walk. Because when he ran, it was like this. So 
So if he kicked the ball, or when he kicked the ball, which would only roll just about to the pitcher, there was no chance in the world he was going to make it to first. If he was able to somehow pick up a ball and throw it, his throw would land about two pews down. He had no strength. A few years after that, Rex passed away from his disease. That's why he got picked last every time. But that day, Randy said, I pick Rex. I wish you could... I wish he could have seen his face when he realized that it wasn't a joke. When he realized that Randy was motioning to him, yeah, Rex, I pick you. I wish you could have saw his face as he, as he walked slowly over to Randy, his chest for the first time puffed out in pride, smile on his face. I get to be picked first. We don't deserve to have God's grace poured on us exceedingly abundantly but it is. And Paul says, me, the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners, I'm grounded, I'm drenched, I'm buried in grace. So are you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you for the, the words of Paul. We thank you for his story, how he came from being a, a persecutor, a violent man, one who wanted to stamp out the name of Christ to one who declared the name of Christ. Father, we look at our lives and sometimes we, we see our failures and we see our mistakes and we see our past. Uh, and yet we know through your son Jesus that you see only the grace that's been poured on us. Father, help us live in victory today covered by the grace of your son. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, let me make a couple challenges. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with, with believing or trusting that God could love you. Wow, I, I've done this and I've done that and I've said this and I've let God down this way. Boy, the, how, how in the world could He love me? Maybe that's where you're at today and I'm telling you His grace covers you abundantly. Maybe that's something you need to come up and share or, or come up this morning and have people pray for you or or just ask for strength. I don't know. Maybe you need to come and do that today. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've got a story. Maybe, maybe no one in this church knows that story. But God gave you a victory. And so maybe that needs to be what you come forward this morning and just say, Hey, did you know that this is where I was? Or maybe it's a couple. You come, did you guys know that we almost lost our marriage, but God gave us victory? That would inspire people. As we sing the invitation, if... If you need to come forward, please come as we stand.